get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center. Perry scoops. Corey Perry. Well, able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Forever Mighty Post Game Show. Pat, Ed, and Steve, or broke-ass Pete Davidson on the mics tonight. And uh, I just gotta say, I really don't like anybody throwing hate out there tonight on this OT loss. Everyone's throwing hate on Gibby. I gotta start the show with that, guys. This was this game, besides the first five minutes of the first period, was a Granheim. And then uh, maybe Gibby doesn't really get a lot on his pass. <laughs> Bails and ducks out and then gets stuffed on the wraparound. But uh, any hate being thrown at Gibson, just just walk away from this team, please. <laughs> just just walk away. He, he's getting it done again, right? I mean, so it's all we've kind of asked for him this season is to get back to the same form that we're used to seeing from him. And I know it's early. It's only three games from him so far. But, you know, he he's on top of his game. If There's no question right now who the best player in the Ducks is and the reason why the Ducks are scraping a point out against a team like Colorado is because of John Gibson. Yeah, I mean, you know, what's, you know, the pass was bad, but he recovered. And then he made, uh, you know, he made the, what do you call it? He made that save, and then it goes to wrap around, and Silverberg just leaves him on an island. Like, Silverberg didn't even really try that hard to get his stick to the post and it's like all right that's that's a thing it, are, it also is the abs like best player like one of the best players it's not nate mckinnon it's landis cog sure but i mean that that lineup is ridiculous but still missed assignments throughout this game i mean it happened but they were pretty glaring on that play um i just i laugh at anybody cheers to you guys who uh, are rooting against john gibson here if <laughs> if you listen to this show i just don't get it man and I don't like goalies. I think it's like the second show I've been on where I'm like, I don't like goalies, and I'm I'm How there do you defending not like goalies because they're baby dude. They get these giant pads, and you can't touch them, and you, they go behind the net. If you bump them, it's a penalty. And unless it's John Gibson, you're allowed to bump Gibby, and there's no penalty. Man, and we've seen that time and time again. But uh, but yeah, I just uh, just had to give that shout out to Gibson to start the show because what otherwise was a great game, Miss Q and OT just kind of buried him there. But um, a lot of surprises in tonight's game. I thought, guys, uh, I want to go around the kind of the horn here for a minute and just, what was your biggest standout from tonight's game away from Gibby? I mean, because I think we saw solid hockey from Anaheim in the first time in five games. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think for me it was kind of a series of like, oh, that guy looks better than I thought. You know, like I think originally from the jump, like I was like looking at Jonesy and I was watching him and I was like, yeah, man, that's that's the dude that I like, right? Like super uh energetic getting in on the forecheck aggressive throwing his body around like you know he is to me a top nine forward like he's not a top liner he's not really a top six guy but he is going to do the same thing no matter who you play him with he doesn't necessarily have uh you know the most high-end finishing skill but i think he's a better playmaker than people give him credit for and that's just what you want him to do. You want him to run around and bang bodies. You know, after that, I actually was kind of impressed with Hockenpah this game. I thought he actually looked, he didn't seem, you know, to be playing on the end of his stick too much. He was moving his feet. Um, you know, it's, I think I, like a couple shows ago, I was not that high on him. and He he was definitely better than I expected him to be tonight. So, 
For, for me, it was the uh, Henry Kynan and Silverberg line. I thought they actually got things done tonight, which is surprising when you take a player like Ricard Raquel and you take, I guess, the offensive flair off that line, you know, and, and how well that Rico, Henry, uh, sorry, Rico, Raquel, Silverberg line has gelled in the past. You know, you wouldn't think that putting Danton Heinen with them for a night, you know, after they didn't look so great, that they would actually you know, be a, a solid kind of line for the Ducks tonight. So uh, I think that was the one thing for me that stood out is, is you know, obviously Henry gets on the score sheet and, and that, that looks good you know, on paper at the end of the game. But I think if you, you you look at how these guys played tonight, they're clearly the Ducks' number one line, and that's what the Ducks need them to be. I mean, Adam Henrique was their number one scorer last year. He needs to be putting the puck in the back of the net if the Ducks want to you know, get a win or get a point out of a game. Can you can you guys guess who my favorite player of the night was? I, I mean, take a wild guess here. I'm just curious. Pierre-Luc Dubois. <laughs> that is the biggest topic of tonight's show after the after the breakdown of the game. But uh, for me, it was Lindy. I think Lindy had a hell of a game tonight. Um, if you look at the underlying stats, you're like, oh, his course, he percentage blew. He wasn't that good. Like shot attempts, this and that. But look at the actual shots against that they let in on that on that defensive pair. And they faced McKinnon. I don't know. It, it felt like an eternity every time they're out on the ice. Um, Shattenkirk, on the other hand, though, guys, shaky again tonight. That was that was one of the things I noticed today too. Besides all the positives, Shats had a couple of miscues in tonight's game. Looked a little shaky on the blue line. Um, I don't know if you guys saw McKinnon break his ankles there, but that was always a good time. It's not like it never happens. McKinnon breaks everyone's ankles, but uh, but Lindy was my player. Um, but I, I mean, honestly, I got to agree with both you guys there. And then Danton Heinen, we've been talking about him in the first five mm-hmm. games. He's been kind of invisible, uh, at least a chance here and there. But he had a hell of a game too. That guy was just no puck luck tonight. And I think that was mentioned in our uh, in our chat here on Twitch. But uh, the puck look just, I mean, shoot, the Ducks just can't break through. Only two goals again tonight. Yeah, Shankirk blew a tire, I think, three three times on that shift. And he got his ankle <laughs> broken by, by Nathan McKinnon. And he, skating back, I think, 30 seconds later, he blew a tire and fell down. And somebody else fell down. And in overtime, we saw two of our own players collide into each other. So <laughs> at some point, you're you're wondering if the ice isn't that great out there, or, or what's going on with Shad that was Kirk, Steele's eh? fault, dude. That was not Lindholm's fault. Okay? That was <laughs> Steele's so funny. Never, never it was. Oh no, there's no world in which that wasn't the funniest fucking thing. I was like, all right, we made it past seven seconds in the overtime. We won the face off. This is going. All right, fine. That's just just is what it is, man. That made me laugh so hard as soon as I saw that. Did you guys have uh, high hopes for the OT though? Like I was worried going in. I, I was really worried going into it, but then the Ducks kind of you know retained control there for the first couple of minutes, and I was like, eh, not too bad, not too bad. Yeah, no, it was it was fine. I don't you know, <laughs> like you know, I think uh, it, it kind of sums it all up that the Colorado Avalanche had two defensemen on the ice and still had the two most effective offensive players on the ice. You know what I mean? Like, Kale McCarr is that good, you know? And so, you know, I, you know, for me, every time they get to overtime, it's, it's money in the bank. It's just, it's free money, man. I'll take the point. I'll take the extra hockey. If we get lucky, we win the game. If not, you take the point and it helps a little bit over the course of a season, you know, from not feeling like you weren't in any games, but I, you know, I, my focus is just going to be really the season is, just kind of how they are playing and how they're handling the ups and downs of 60 minutes. Because that to me is, unless Wes will get to later, somebody else walks into this lineup. You know, there's no reason to think 
that they are going to be incredibly competitive every game. And there's no reason to expect them to win, you know, 50% of their games. So for me, how do they look? How do they respond? How do they play? You know what I mean? Like, it's a lot of armchair crap, but it's a lot of body language and little things like that. You just try to see where they're at as a team. And I think, you know, tonight they they look good. They they were energetic. So the the Ducks had one strategy going into overtime. And that was to not let Colorado have the puck at any cost. Uh, <laughs> I mean, for the Thanks, entire. Thanks, John Gibson. Yeah, I, I mean, why would you want to give the puck to Nathan McKinnon or Kent McCarr, right? So you can go home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. So you can hit the bus, hit the showers. I mean, you know, they could roll McCarr and McKinnon out there um, with Devin Taves for the first unit, and then McCarr stays out there, and Landis Cog and Ronton and come over the boards. Like it, it doesn't get any easier. No wonder you don't want them to have you know sustained zone pressure. Those are the first two units, and we talked about Vegas's first two units. I think those first two units for Colorado are probably the best you could have in the entire league. Mm-hmm. When you look at pure skill and, and just size and speed with uh, Landis Cog and Ronton and, um, you know, the Ducks, it almost paid off for them. They got a pr- couple good chances, but you look at the first time they lost control of the puck and you know, it's on John Gibson for that one, but it's in the back of the net. It was, that was brutal. And I get it, but I mean, Gibby just, I mean, he saved the game on that penalty shot. I don't know how yeah. we're breaking this game down tonight. I think I'm just like gonna pluck stuff out of like the first, second, third period and yeah, just over time. I just yeah. I'm not gonna go in a linear format. Like screw it. Um, just kind of free flow here. Tonight. Let's go. I, I gotta say <laughs> though, is Colorado not one of those teams this year where like I, I forgot these guys were in the league? Like Brendan Sods on Colorado. I was like, I swear I knew yeah. that, but then again, like I didn't know it. And then Valerie Nakushkin. I was like, huh. That was the one that got huh. me. <laughs> Because yeah, he was surprisingly there last year, and, and I looked at. It, I remember looking at that last year and said, "He's back from Russia. Like yes. he returned." Wait, Mitchuskin was on Colorado last year. Yeah, he played a few games for them last year. I'm not sure oh. how many. I think it was at least ten. I did not know that at all. Very That's odd, crazy. right? Yeah, no, like I, you know, the sod one I remember just because I remember they traded Zadarov, and I was like, yeah. If you can make that trade, then you have to do it. Get rid of, you know, the worst defenseman on your team. <laughs> and then they bring in, you know, uh, Devin Taves. And the rest of that is just, you know, the rest of that, that blue line is solid as hell. You know, Bowen Byram already walked in and looked like a top four Oof. player tonight. He did. What embarrassment of riches. I mean, Byram yeah. and McCarr and, man, um, yeah, we watched a lot of Byram in the uh, the World Juniors this year. and. You, know, you watched really... a lot of Byram because he was playing with, <laughs> as you guys would say, Dreesdale, Drysdale up there in Canada. Right? If only, I mean, if yeah. only we could have uh, Byram with with Dreesdale, would be our blue line would be sorted. But I mean, you saw that head fake or that shoulder fake he pulled on Getzlaff, mm-hmm. sent him the wrong way, and then obviously mm-hmm. the uh, the assist where he he went back to that. If you look at his assist, he pulls a shoulder fake again to get to the same position, and this time he throws a pass across. Like the confidence in a kid, and you know, especially a defenseman, to you know, pull a move like that on Ryan Getzlaff, and then not only that to see that it worked, and then to do that move again, and then set up a teammate for a goal. Like this guy's second NHL game, and you think you know the Avalanche going forward have Kenan Rountin and Landis Cog. They brought in Kadri. They've got Makar and Byram now. It's like Grubauer looked unbelievable for them tonight. Like they have. This is why this is why people think they can win the Stanley Cup, right? Like this. when he had to, Stephen, he looked unbelievable. When he had to. I think it is fair to say Grubauer made the saves that he needed to make to win the game. 
I do not think if you watch that game, you're coming away going that goaltending isn't the issue. Now, part of that is the rest of that roster is so strong, and I understand that it's kind of an unfair context, but I'm still not convinced just from that game alone that Grubauer's the guy to get him to the cup. Like, he could be, but he's never played 40 games in a season. So, you know, you have no idea how it's going to go. I just, I would be a little bit more slow playing it with group hour. I'm not convinced. Eddie, I got a question for you real quick. Actually, for both yeah. you guys. But in the chat, Dave brings up a good point. He says, why do other teams have the confidence to bring up and start their young guns, but the Ducks take the slow approach? Why do you think that is here? Like, Byron gets his second NHL game. We're not seeing Drysdale or Zegers, I don't think, any time in the next handful of games. It, it's a, right, a mix but... of a couple of things. Like, I, I think organizationally the Ducks just don't do that. Uh, they've rarely done that. And for Colorado, it, you know, I think Byron jumps in. He can kind of give them no choice. And for them, you know, Eric Johnson's out. He's not a left-shot defenseman anyway. Ian Cole didn't work out. They traded him. They were in need of a left-shot defenseman. As stacked as that team is, they didn't have a guy who could immediately step in and be, you know, an impactful player in their lineup from that the left side. And, you know, they, they brought in Devin Taves to do that, and then they give Bro and Byram a chance. Um, you know, it's not like they threw him in there to start the season either. This is only his second game, so they kind of worked him in a little bit slower. And, you know, that's that's the avalanche approach. I mean, they like to get their young guns in when they have a chance. Sometimes it pays off like it has with Byram. Sometimes it doesn't with Tyson Yost. What did you think. say, though, because they're throwing him in a more successful environment? Like, they're not going to get down on themselves being a young guy without any experience. They're going to play amongst this all-star collection of players on a great team that's bound to either win the division, come close, and go really far. Some have them ticketed for the Stanley Cup final. I think that's the reason why they got brought in, though, right? It might not be just a, so much of an organizational thing for Anaheim is that you bring Zegers and Drysdale into this lineup, it's that's kind of scary. This is not a team that we're expecting to go far. Yeah, no, I think I think um, I think it's it's definitely a couple of different things. I think one thing is Byron was the fourth pick in the draft two years ago. There's a reason for that. You know what I mean? And I think uh, you know what you saw is someone. You know they didn't even get close to bringing him up last year. They were just like, it's non-starter. They let him have that one year knowing that he was going to come up and all that stuff. And, you know, he was able to develop and then he comes up for a couple games so far and he looks good. But like you said, I do think a huge part of it is, is the institution of the team that he's walking into. He doesn't have to walk in and he's not going to need to be the most creative defenseman. He's not going to need to be the most defensively sound defenseman. He's going to be able to find his footing you know, it's kind of a few years ago when, uh, who was it, uh, Pareko, when he first, uh, for, or, uh, who was the big right-handed kid in, um, St. Louis? I'm thinking of Nashville. Who was it in Nashville? Seth Jones. No, I, maybe I'm just Shea Weber, Roman Yossi. St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> Is Ryan Sutter that kid? Oh, that's, that's um, Minnesota. But, no, but I just think, you know, like you said, like, it's 100% right that, like, they come into a team and, and they're insulated and they, they don't have to be, um, they don't have to be difference makers right away. Where, you know, for us, we all know that if uh, Zegers and Drysdale walked in, you know, they would need to start contributing. 
Well, that's so. what DB Lowry just said in our chat. He says because the Avs aren't asking their young guys to provide ninety percent of their offense, they can just put them in positions to succeed. Exactly. I think it's a lot I of like so. a mix of what we're saying here. It's the organization, <laughs> like 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 Eddie was saying, they don't want to ever underseason anybody after they. And Eddie's made a point of this before uh, with Cam Fowler. Um, Bob Murray's come out and said they've rushed him, and so they've taken the position to not do that anymore. And now we're looking at um, at these two young kids coming in on D, and then one up on the forward group. And these are really highly touted prospects. You don't want to risk any of that. Um, yeah. But also, I, this team can't score. So what do we do? <laughs> I think there's an important thing for for Bowen Byron too. Um, you know, the the Abs have a history of, of kind of trying to get their younger players in sooner rather than later. But for Bowen Byron, I think without the pandemic and without the January start, uh, he's back in the WHL this year. You know, the the true, season yeah. would have resumed in October. Um, you wouldn't have had the World Junior performance to kind of go back on if you're the Avs and say, okay, then he's shown us he's ready. He would have been in the WHL this season, which means he would have had no chance to come up until their season was over. But here we are in a pandemic. You know, the the first hockey we see this year is the World Junior Championship, and Bowen Byram is excellent for Canada. He wins one of their top three players of the tournament, and he can't go back to the WHL because they're not playing right now. So his only option is... You know, he sits on the taxi squad or he plays in the AHL for Colorado where they give him a shot and see if he can do well. And he's doing well. And and I think, honestly, you know, we might have to wait a little bit longer, but I think the Ducks take that same approach this year with Drysdale and Zegris at some point because, you know, Drysdale can go back to the OHL when it starts. You know, Zegris is AHL eligible in any part. In the regular season, he's AHL eligible, but... I think we take we see them take that approach at some point, maybe not as soon as the Avs did, but I think some you know some time down the road here that Zegris and Drysdale probably work their way into the lineup. No, makes a lot of sense. I mean, just the question I guess would be like, how soon, right? How soon do we see these kids come in here? Um, we can get to that in just a minute. I, I want to ask you guys about. Uh, and I know Ed, you were kind of you saw the game when you could tonight for the most part. So I don't want to big put you on the spot here. I'll go direct this at Steven mostly because this is his favorite player on the Ducks. <laughs> um, Cam Fowler. What do you think about Fowler and Hockapot tonight? I mean, really, is Manson going to be able to make it back in the lineup after six weeks? I mean, this pairing has it look sloppy. So <laughs> it's interesting because, like, <laughs> excuse me. Um, the thing that I was thinking about, especially earlier when we were talking about Shattenkirk not having a great game, is I think he, ironically, is the one who is most affected by Manson being out. Um, because what I think that does is that forces Shattenkirk into a, a much more um, defensive role as one of the more senior defensive players on the team. And on top of that, he's playing with Lindholm, who is the best defenseman on the team. And so I think... You know, Shattenkirk in a little bit is being put in a situation where he's not able to be as successful. Um, but Hockenpah looked great tonight. You know what I mean? Like, and Fowler looked good tonight. I I think part of it is maybe Fowler played a slightly more conservative game um, because he's paired with Hockenpah. Or do you think maybe he but, doesn't have to worry about Hockenpah taking the rush as much? As Manson, because the Ducks defensemen were activated tonight. I mean, even Hockenpah, I mean, if not for drawing a penalty, he might have scored a goal tonight. Yeah, but you know what I mean? I think the thing for me is is that's that, that rush or that chance came kind of off a broken play. 
you know what I mean? He kind of picks it up and he's able to make a move and it, it is great. And I'm not taking anything away from him. I think the thing for me is the fact that Fowler and Hockenpah seem to play so well, I think for Manson is optimistic because I think, you know, to what Eddie's been talking about, and I think you've mentioned a couple times just when we've been talking, um, you know, it'd be nice to see another pair of maybe Manson Mahura. Um, you know, and so you can kind of continue to slide or spread that talent out a little bit and see how it goes. You know, Manson hasn't been good this season. You know, he hasn't looked super great. I do think that him and Fowler don't work well together for whatever reason. And I think, you know, if Fowler and Hawkenpaw is legit, then I think that's a huge win for the Ducks for two reasons. One, either they can keep them separate put Larson and Manson or Mahura or, you know, maybe Curran gives somebody some chance or look, at the end of the day, they can always just move Manson. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, so is, is that, is that, contract. you think that's part of it that's going to be happening here in the next, after he comes back from injury, you think maybe your boy's out? So I don't think it will happen. You don't want it to because... happen. <laughs> here's the thing i think those are related right because like i have made no bones about this like i very much like the type of hockey that bob murray and brian burke like to play and josh manson is that kind of guy you know what i mean um so for me i just don't think they're gonna move him because of what he brings as far as a little extra toughness a little extra um stability on the back end you know what I mean? I think the other night it was nice to see him actually engage physically. Um, but at the end of the day, if this Hawk and Paul Fowler thing is legit, you, dude, you got to start looking at your assets. You know what I mean? And you got to look at trying to make the team better. And if, you know, this PLD trade goes through for Anaheim, it's absolutely um, going to cost uh, a roster forward who can score goals, maybe, and most likely it's Raquel. Okay, so now maybe what you do is you look at Manson and you see if you can get someone who can kind of help fill that role or whatever. I just it it creates a lot of possibilities. Um, and but do I you think, think that he's really? Do you think he's really a fit uh, coming back when he's healthy? Do you think they could find a partner for he could be successful? I think I, I, I think I'm having a really hard time. Eddie, jump in here anytime you want about Manson, but uh, yeah, I, I just have a hard time. Be distinguishing between who I don't really think is playing well between him and Fowler so far, going back to last season into this season, even it's it's, it's been a tough go for that pair. Yeah, the the thing for me is is I don't think you know I'm not to discredit the play of Yanni Hockenpah because I think he's been good, but you know to say that he's going to take Josh Manson's spot because of his play, I I think it's more because of the stylistic. You know, pairing when you look at Fowler with a player like Hockenpah. Cam Fowler, historically throughout his entire career, when you look at the pairings he's been on, his most successful seasons, when you look at, you know, his numbers and, and just, you know, the, the underlying numbers with who he's played with, it's it's with a guy who likes to hang back a defensive defenseman, a guy who really doesn't get up in the play too much unless it's a drawn up play, like we saw Hockenpah pinch up a couple like times. Like Bieksa. Didn't he have a great year with Bieksa? He did. He did. And, and we've, you know, when we've all analyzed, you know, Fowler's career over a certain period of time. We go back and we look at his defense pairings and we say, well, no wonder he hasn't broken out the way he thought he was. He's been paired with BX. He's been paired with Gabranson. He's been paired with this guy, but Fowler and Gabranson was a good pairing. 
And Fowler and BX mm-hmm. at times was a good pairing. And Fowler and Hackenpuss is a good pairing. And what do all three of those guys have in common? They rarely jump up in the play. The chat they right now back. is saying Manson and Larson as a third pair. What do you guys think about that? I, I, and I don't mind it because I think when you look at when Manson's been the most successful, it's with a player like Lindholm. You know, when those two were together, Lindholm is you know a little bit more offensive minded than a you know a normal two way defenseman. He likes to kind of get up in the play every now and then, but he's a responsible player. And you know we've always said Larson could be Hampus Lindholm 2.0. And I'll be the first to admit, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Jakob Larson, but he's been okay this year. And I think when you look at him and a player like Josh Mahura. I think there's some, you know, similar stylistic uh, qualities there in terms of the, you know, their their two-way ability and their skating ability, and I think a player like that fits a bit more with Josh Manson. So I think there is a place for for Josh. There always is. That wouldn't be so bad either, because then I'll give you three pairs where you don't have to only play the third pair eleven minutes a night. You can give mm-hmm. other guys a break. You have two strong pairings after your top pair. Um, no one's playing 25 minutes necessarily every night. You know, on, on occasions it's going to happen, but I think that might be an answer. You don't have to treat it like a third pair. That's the thing. I, I think there's a, there's a good opportunity for Anaheim to kind of throw things around. We'll see what they do, though. I mean, I mean, realistically, as we've said many times, and Stephen brought it up, Eddie brought it up tonight too. This this institution that is Bob Murray's team, um, <laughs> they don't like to like play away from the stereotypicalness of hockey. So we'll see what that what that ends up being here. But uh, moving along here, I just want to spend a few more minutes before we get to Dubois because I feel like that's going to be like a 15-minute conversation, especially with chat and everything going on here. Um, do you think the breakthrough tonight, guys, by you know Heinen and Silverberg and Henrik having a monster game statistically under all the underlying numbers, so they crushed a 5-on-5. Five five. Clearly they passed the eye test too. They scored a goal. Um do you think this is uh, like maybe they finally broke through? Did we did we uncap the ketchup bottle, so to speak, as we talk about what Tebow used to say? I mean, are we finally going to see uh, goals yeah. rolling here? I, I, I think it's tough to say that you know we've cracked the code and you know they found the chemistry here and and this is uh, you know all good signs moving forward. I, I think they had one good game and it's nice to see, but you know on paper a line of Heinen, Henrik, Silverberg doesn't look like a line that's going to. You know, put a lot of pucks in the back of the net and put up the points. It, it kind of looks like the line you throw out there to combat a McKinnon, Ranton, and Landis Cog line, and uh, you know to limit chances against. So I, th- I think they're going to be a valuable line for the Ducks, and, and I think they're going to contribute offensively every now and then. But we know with pretty much everybody on that line, there you know there's streaks where they do well and there's streaks where they don't. Silverberg is an extremely seal- uh, streaky player in terms of his production, and I think. Uh, I think Adam Henrique can be like that too. And we've seen it at the start of the season, nothing in the first four games this year. And I think this was clearly his best game of the season so far. So, you know, we talked last show that the Ducks need to generate more offense just from, you know, the top six rather than the bottom six. So all, all the offense up until that point had come from Comtois, Steele, and Terry, and Delorier, Grant, and Rowney. So it is nice to see Henry Kine and Silverberg get on the board. That's such a funny sentence there. And yeah, by the way, in chat, we uh, definitely could see Steven assaulting Eddie's video. For whatever reason, OBS is not being very favorable. Steven's just jumping into Eddie's screen a bunch. It's pretty funny. But uh, I mean, yeah. I could see that happening here. I could see these guys get on a little bit of a roll. I hope so. Yeah, I think that's absolutely possible. I think for me, you know, I think uh, I think it, it speaks very well of Heinen. 
Um, I didn't get a chance, you know, to watch the game on Wednesday, and I know he was with them a little bit, and, you know, he got sad at the end of the game. But, uh, you know, I think to a degree, um, I think Heinen has impressed this year in the stint. I think he looks... Uh, he looks really good. I think uh, what you see is someone who does, you know, again, all the little things that you want. You know, he doesn't stop moving. He's aggressive on the forecheck. He doesn't let the puck sit on his stick very long. You know, he's ripping one-timers. He's getting shots off. He's looking to make a pass. He, You know, and I, I think that has a lot of value. And I think having the ability to inject a little bit of energy into Henrik and Silverberg, I think he got something out of them tonight, and I think that was great. I also think this is the first game after they got benched. You want them to respond positively. What it's going to take is what happens on Sunday. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. do they look like this again on Sunday, or was this just one boost because they got yelled at and now they don't want to be in trouble anymore? Am you I know? the only one on the show right now that didn't think that puck went in for like I don't know ten seconds? And then on the replay, I'm like, where'd that go? I didn't see it hit the netting. It had to hit the camera at like the highest point inside the net on Henrik's yeah. goal. I was like, where the? They said it scored. I'm like, they're gonna pull it back. And my my dumbass is watching the stream. The stream. I'm like, zooming in. I'm like, where the? F- I want to see is the puck go by Grubauer on the outside of the crease. I'm like, there's no way that puck's in the net. Clearly, I'm an idiot, and I didn't see the angle until I they showed the front. Oh, yeah. I was the only moron then. Okay, point taken. No, I'm with you. (laughs) I mean, we didn't want to say it. (laughs) Clearly, that's just just the way of the show. Um, The other thing real quick that I did want to say as far as players kind of breaking out is uh, I think tonight was Terry's best game. Um, On that power play alone, I thought you saw a collection of – you saw a skill set that is going to be valuable at an NHL level. Okay, really explain this point because the people – I, I think when you watch the game, and I've been very guilty of ripping on him. Did you? What did you see with Terry offensively? Where you're like, and he didn't convert, right? But yeah, what did you so see here? I, I think for me, it was definitely on the power play where he looked the best. But he was skating with the puck. He was making passes. He was looking to get the puck back. Um, you know, you saw him probing. There were a couple of times where you could see he wanted to make. Uh, that cross-eyed pass, and it wasn't there, and so he ripped a shot. You know, I, I, he just, he's got a good shot, and he's got good vision, and he can make good passes. I don't think, like, I think, you know, he's 82, 85 area, like, as far as, like, out of 100 right, grades all around on that offensive side. I don't think he's going to be a game-breaking talent. No, of course but not. But I do think he can be an, a very good supplemental offensive talent. And I think he will develop well enough that he's not going to be a liability on the back uh, in his own zone. And I think he's going to have uh, I think that's going to be very beneficial. But I, I do think for me that it's just he looked like he was the one running the power play for, you know, 30 seconds at a time every now and then. And I think for me, that's huge because I definitely understand the criticisms of him in the past where he hasn't looked quite engaged or he's looked unsure of himself. And, you know, I, I said this on Twitter earlier, but like I, you see with him and Steele this year, I feel like, like, oh, yeah, this is who maybe they can become. You know, I don't think either of them are obviously there yet. I think they both have plenty of room to grow and a lot of that will be mental and uh, getting more consistent. But the skill set 
that can make them an effective NHL player is there. So, so to tie a bow on tonight's game uh, with, with our breakdown here, to me, I know it's a loss. And I, I got to say, kudos to everyone who came out to the show tonight. We have over 30 people, or about 30 people in the chat right now. It's pretty awesome after an OT loss on a Friday night. Given it's quarantine, no one has anywhere to go, right? Um, I, 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 I want to say I took a lot of positives out of this. Yeah, I screamed obscenities uh, when they got scored on an overtime because I thought there was actually a chance that we were going to hold on and win this game. But, uh, I mean, really, if you are uh, looking at the Ducks, are there any adjustments you want to make? going into Sunday's game, guys? Like, I really don't feel like there is other than, hey, how about you start playing the same hockey you played in the first four minutes of the game uh, on game two on Sunday? Other than that, yeah. great game. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, the, when you look at the abstracts tonight, a lot of what they're saying is, oh, you know, we, we played last night against L.A. And, you know, the abs did not look like a team that played last night. Oh. Uh, and, and that's credit to their skill and, and their fitness ability and the players that they have. I mean, they, they look like they had a couple days rest and they were ready to go in this game. And there's a few times where they fell flat during the game, but they picked it right back up. And, uh, you know, they got the, the goal that ended up putting them ahead. And obviously McKinnon's penalty shot that was saved by Gibson. But you know, this is one of the best teams in the league and, and by you know a lot of people's standards. And I think the Ducks held their own tonight and deserved fully deserved the, the, the point that they got. And when you look at the last game that went to overtime against Vegas, I, I don't think they deserved that point, and they scraped out and got it because of John, or because of you know goaltending and, and and because you know a little bit of luck going their way. But in this one, this is a game I can confidently say, you know, the the Ducks deserved a point and and should be feel, you know should feel a little hard done by that they didn't get the win, and and didn't seal the two points. Yeah, I think. Uh... You know, you look at the game, you look at the way it kind of played out. I mean, I'll be frank. I, you know, I, uh, I was on the phone before the game earlier and I was like, they're going to get speed bagged. Like they're just, they're, it's going to be ugly. You know, it's going to be like that Nashville game tonight. That was seven. Oh, you know, I, I just wasn't expecting good things. And I think there were times where you did see the ducks chase around their own end and looking a little out of position here and there and, and things like that. But I think overall, you know, they played more consistently. They looked much more engaged. Um, you know, I think this is as good a loss as you're going to get. You know what I mean? Especially for a team that is lacking that legitimate high-end talent. You know, this is the kind of scrappy game. You know, this is like the better version of uh, the Vegas loss, right? Where you're like, eh, they didn't really play great, but Gibby saved their butt. Well, tonight you're just like, oh, well, they actually played all right, and Gibby saved their ass. And so... You know, they get that extra point, but they definitely looked like they had earned that point more than they did in that Vegas game. There was a point in this game, and I'm trying to remember, and I'm looking back at my notes uh, for the guy. I don't see where I put the note in here, but were they withheld Nashville? Or, Jesus, Nashville, you said Nashville threw me off. They withheld the Avs <laughs> from a shot on goal for over 10 minutes. So, yes, kudos to Gibby 100%. I mean, I've already been massaging that guy's shoulders since we got on the show, which is very unlike me. But looking at the game right here, I mean, to not let a shot on goal like that, to, to have to be able to stymie this Avs team on their tired second game, like this beginning of the season, you guys are professional athletes. It's not that bad. You travel from L.A. to Anaheim. It's not like L.A. ran you up and down the ice. They weren't that good. You played a sloppy game and lost. You were up 2 nothing. you know, whatever. But uh, the Ducks, I just really feel played just an outstanding game. I was very happy with this loss, as much as I could mm -hmm. be, I guess. 
That's yeah, that was, all you want to see is an effort, right? Yeah, that's, that's all you want to see this this season is a, is an effort and and to make the games exciting and to not get you know speed bag like like Stephen said. Like <laughs> we all thought going into this game, no matter what, if it's a back to back game for Colorado or not, like they're a superior team and they have legitimate superstars on their team, not just one, probably you know three or four. It, it's a mismatch. Uh, of you know any any matchup you can look across the league, it's as, as big a mismatch as any. And you know I'm I'm never like to say I'm I'm happy with the loss, no. but when you look at the effort they put out there, like we said before, I think they deserved a point and and they probably deserved two. And you know if they had snuck away with a win here, I don't think anybody would have said that the Ducks weren't value for the two points or the one point that they got. No, absolutely, man. I can't agree with that more. Uh, before we get to our post post game notes, we get into the Dubois stuff, and we have uh, I think we only have one question on Twitter, which is great. Um, <laughs> everyone was just jumping in the chat here and sending the questions via chat, so that's awesome too. But uh, I, I want to say if you guys are uh, new to the show or just started listening to us recently, uh, we have our Patreon. I don't know if you guys are familiar with our Patreon. It's it's patreon.com slash forever mighty. You can find it there. You can also find it at forevermighty.com. But uh, that's where we give you guys some Patreon rewards. You help the show out a bit. Uh, and then uh, we also get uh, fun shows where uh, we're trying to get Eddie to drink a bag of milk on a show because he's Canadian. And uh, <laughs> over the course of the season, we're trying to see if we can push to find a way to do that. It'll be fun. But our pucks and brews will be tomorrow afternoon. We don't want to run into football Sunday. So uh, I think it's a 1 or 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time start for you guys in Canada or back east. Um, but we're going to drink, talk hockey. Uh, talk a lot of shit, apparently, because we do that a lot on the show, too, and uh, have a good time. So, uh, Forever Mighty, uh, it's our patreon.com slash forevermighty. We can go and check out the Patreon there and help the show out a bit, and uh, we give you back with, uh, was it with a, you know, we get, like this year we're getting hoodies made. We had hats made last year. We kind of give you guys some merch from us. Uh, when the season's going, we also give away free Ducks tickets, which is pretty awesome, too. Um, so, yeah. Go check that out. Patreon.com slash Evermighty. Help the show. We uh, you know, kick back some goodies to you guys and you get more of our, our podcast. I'm going to answer a question, a Patreon-related question in the chat yeah. from Jay Southern. Because I was going to bring this up anyway, and it's perfect because he ended up asking the question. So he said, did I ever get the Pink Whitney that I was supposed to get for New Year's? So if anybody in the chat or anybody listening right now is a, a Patreon subscriber, you know that when we did our Pucks and Brews on New Year's, I tried to go to the store and get Pink Whitney. It was all sold out. And I wasn't able to get it. I had to get, I think I had Bacardi or something like that. So I went today and they had Pink Whitney. So I do have You Pink do Whitney have it for tomorrow? I do. I was just going to rip you apart and talk all kinds of crap on you right now, but you actually got it. <laughs> I actually got it. And I have it for tomorrow's show as, as a makeup for, uh, for oh, New Year's. This will be the second time in history I've seen Eddie drunk. That's going to be tomorrow on the, on the Pucks and Bruce show. <laughs> That's going to be fun, man. That's going to be a good time. I'm very proud of you, Ed. And, uh, for those of you guys who don't know Eddie too much, Eddie's not a big drinker. So the fact that Eddie went to the store and made sure he got Pink Whitney, which is an awfully sweet drink, I want to say. I say yeah. awful because it almost tastes good, but then it's like really sweet. It's just not my thing. But uh, <laughs> very glad Eddie got that. Much better yeah, than I had to make up for New Year's. So. Yeah, you were Tomorrow's doing shots on New Year's. Be good. You were doing yeah, shots yeah, on New we Year's. Were, I, was, I, promised, <laughs> I promised I'd get Pink Whitney, and they were sold out, so I had to make up for it. Golf clap. Golf clap, Ed. <laughs> I love it. That'll Cheers, be a good bud. time tomorrow. Um, so let's get on to the, the the giant elephant in the room that everyone's waiting to talk about here. Pierre-Luc Dubois. We all talked about this a, a game or two ago and, and continued this talk throughout our, our Discord chat, our Twitter chat, amongst ourselves. 
Um, it, it's been well known he's on the chopping block. Uh, if you guys saw his last shift for John Totorella was, <laughs> I ripped John Totorella a lot, guys. I don't know if you guys saw it. I put it. Uh, I think I sent it to either just to Ed or to the podcast. Group. I think I sent it to our podcast group chat and uh, or, or one of our chats. And it was, it was his last shift where he just didn't do anything. And yeah. I was like, I'd bench that asshole too. He's not playing hockey. Like he's, yeah, he I, I don't blame him there. for benching him. It was it was bad. He, he tried to engage in a puck battle, and he like hugged the guy, and then slowly skated back to the bench. I, I mean, I like listen. The guy asked for a trade. He doesn't want to play there. He's gonna go out there and play because you know he's a hockey player and he's got to play for the team. But you can tell there's issues with him and the coach, and and that was clear in that game. I mean, you know, normally you'd get benched for you know a couple minutes for for not showing enough effort and. You know, Torts made sure he made a point uh, that this is a guy they don't want on the team here and d- proceeded to not play him for the rest of the game. He played three minutes and 55 seconds in the first period yeah. and then sat on the bench for the entire second and third period. Um, you know, yeah, part of it is the way, you know, his play and his laziness on that play. But at another part of it, and a big part of it, is Torts trying to make a point here that, you know, to Yarmo Kekalain, to his own GM, is like, hey, man, I'm not going to play this guy. This guy doesn't want to be here. You can see he doesn't want to be here. I'm not going to play him, so trade him. And now you look at how, since that incident, trade talks have heated up, and and you know there's three teams heavily interested, including the Ducks. And you know, all reports say that this is likely something that gets sorted by tomorrow or or Sunday or you know early into next week. Yeah, I you know I. I can't say that I've watched a lot of Columbus this season. Oh, what do you mean? You don't turn on NHL but, uh, and watch them watch Yeah, them exactly. Play? I go out of my way to watch boring <laughs> hockey because I don't get enough of that when I root for my own stupid team. <laughs> Dumb as hell. Uh, but I think for me the thing is, is like, you know, I, like, yeah, you don't ever want to see somebody sandbagging it like that out there. You know what I mean? Like there's a level of professionalism that you're looking for and, you know, all that kind of crap. And I get it. But like. Dude, like, Torch is a dick, and like the thing about it for me is, is like he threw him under the bus so hard at the beginning of the season, just like oh I don't know you have to talk to him blah 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 just all that Torch crap, and it's like you know what dude, <laughs> if you don't want to talk about it, say you don't want to talk about it, but this fucking passive aggressive crap, like you're the head coach of a hockey team, grow. So i don't know that i'm gonna hold it against him too much for you know just sandbag it out there a little bit he got sad now he's gonna get what he wants he's gonna get the hell out of columbus <laughs> you know <laughs> i can't say i blame him it's not it's gonna work out great for the guy you know unless he ends up in winnipeg and then he's gonna you know he's gonna think so, he made the so wrong it's montreal winnipeg and anaheim yeah. That seems to Montreal says no Suzuki, which immediately, if I'm Yarmo Kekalainen, I'm like, okay, F Montreal, because that's what I want. If That's how I'm looking at this. I want young, successful players uh, or prospects and picks. Like, I want a they lot want of young guys. Too. I, I think that's the key thing for, for Columbus here. Is like, do they, they really want roster players? If it, the, all reports say they do. I, I think Columbus thinks they're not as bad as some people think they are. And I think... You know, they made a big swing to get Max Domi. You know, they've made some roster changes of their own. I think that, you know, if you've got two great young defensemen in Wierenski and, and Jones, I don't think they're a Stanley Cup contender by any means. But, you know, they want to play. That might be one of the best defensive pairings in the NHL, though, by far. It is. That is. Yeah. But if you're like losing. Jones, Yes. They're very yeah. good. They're very good. Yeah. I think they're underrated, too. I mean, Seth Jones, you know, for 
put up a ton of points a couple seasons ago and hasn't quite matched that and, and it's kind of flew under the radar but they're a, they're a tough pair to play against but you know if you're Columbus right now and you're losing Pierre-Luc Dubois who's your number one center they want a player who can come in and obviously nobody's going to do the same job but they want a player or two who can step into their lineup and replace that production and whether they get you know some prospects lesser prospects or picks as part of that deal to kind of supplement it. It, it kind of seems that way, but it doesn't seem like Columbus is really dictating these discussions because, you know, Elliot Friedman put out an article um, tonight to kind of react to this news. He said the Jets offer includes two players on their team who requested a trade in Patrick Line and Jack Roslovich. So, you know, right there for, for Columbus, it's enticing because you get Patrick Line and you get a player who's a superstar or close to being a superstar already. And Rosovich can can kind of you know he's not a number one center by any means he's you know a third or fourth line center but he can jump into the lineup and yeah he's but a how does Line fit on that team as a guy who's already disgruntled where he's at and he's not even playing for John Tortorella yet he's yeah. not so like trying and to play under left. exactly uh, trying to play under John Tortorella is like trying to breathe when someone puts a pillow under your face while you try to like <laughs> breathe at night like that's him trying to like prevent you from scoring goals. If you're Patrick Laine, you hate every second of this talk. You're like, really? I'm going to go there and waste my time and earn $6.7 million and then go and just hold someone out until they trade my rights to someone else when I'm an but, RFA. But not even that. Like, if you're Laine, and, and the reason why, like, Laine is the big name, and I think I think on paper, Winnipeg probably has the best offer because it's Laine. Mm-hmm. But yeah. if you're Columbus, you're you're wondering if he's going to resign with you yeah. at the end of next season, which he probably won't. I mean... Patrick Laine wants to go to a big hockey market. He wants to be the number one guy on a big popular team. And Columbus does not fit that description. So and, how does anybody in Columbus look at this and go, we got to fire our coach. We lost Bobrovsky. We lost Panarin. We've lost <laughs> other players. Uh, was it Josh Anderson want to play there? Like, You ask anybody who, who's played there, they're like, get me the hell out of here. I can't play under Barry Trotz. And everyone's like, no, let's try to bring other really good players in here. It's a good idea. They, you know, I just don't get it. Get no, rid of I the coach. I think that's a hundred percent the question that I would be asking if I was in Columbus. It, you know, is how are they going to continually pick a coach over talent when the coach? Like, I don't. I think it's hard to argue. That Torts isn't an effective coach. You know, True. he creates a system. They play well. You know, they put Steven, probably he's the winningest of... American coach of all time. That's at the top of his resume in bold 72 print font at the very top. And so... I am the talkingest Steven in the history of Forever Mighty, and they're both <laughs> worth about the same. <laughs> it's just, it's, you know, I think for me, it's just like, you know, he doesn't play exciting hockey. He's not a particularly okay. First of all, no, I'm not letting this stand. Whoever said Torts's Mourinho is wrong. That is not get get the hell out of here with that. I was Torts waiting for you to bring that one up. Oh, do not do not drag my beloved Jomo. But if you're Ramakek Leonard, don't you fire him and bring in Gerard Gallant like that and be like, hey, everyone yes, likes Gerard. That's the thing. He's right there. I don't get it. Gallant, because again, you're gonna get a coach who's gonna. Who you know? It's it's not necessarily going to be as in, much of an accountability thing, but we definitely know that he's able to take a rather misfit roster and create a system in which they can play effective hockey. You know, William Carlson. I don't know if Columbus remembers that they had him at one point. Uh, 
he blew up. It is really hard to think that Gallant bringing in Gallant in the off season doesn't kind of maybe help PLD interested in staying. Like I, I think there's a much better chance that he wants to stay if he's got a coach who's going to allow him to put himself in a position to be successful. Awesome. Okay, I know I'm cutting you off here, but that's the, that was the exact point I want to drive home on this on this chat to bring it back in because I kind of derailed us talking about everyone else other than Anaheim. That's my point right here. So you look at the coach in Montreal, and you look at the coaching staff over in Winnipeg, and then you see the coaching staff in Anaheim. Dallas Aikens has a reputation right now where he's able to help out young players. You know, he was very successful with the goals players. Now he's in the big show. Uh, and, he, and that's the, the big thing we've all been talking about for Reminding now about the, probably the reason why the Ducks brought him in, not just because he was the AHL coach, but because he knows all these players who've been here for a long time and, and they thrived under him. And he's not the, he's not the a-hole coach. He's the player-friendly guy. Do you think Dubois would rather come here and maybe resign? And I'm not saying Columbus makes that deal anyway. But if you're Pierre-Luc Dubois, I mean, wouldn't you be pushing for sunny Southern California where no one knows your French-Canadian ass anyway? And, I mean, dude, you get to play for a guy who likes you and wants you to score goals? It makes all the sense. I think, I think it's enticing. Like, I, I, Do I think Anaheim is his number one destination? No, that's Montreal. And I, I don't Jesus, think yeah, let me know, shovel snow a, for five months. What a great life. It, it's no secret, um, you know, the, the French-Canadian kid wants to go back and play in his hometown and play in Montreal. Um, you Canadians in your love of snow. Can, I don't get it. Can Montreal meet what Columbus wants? I don't think they can without Nick Suzuki. I don't think they really right. can. I mean, unless it's Kotkaniemi, and even right now, I, I think Suzuki is definitely more valuable than Kotkaniemi is, even though Kotkaniemi was drafted higher. And, you know, I think Winnipeg's offer is going to be line eight. They're going to stick to that. They're going to say, you know, we have the best player, but... Columbus is going to be scared off by that. And I think Anaheim is the really the only interesting one here because we have no idea what they're going to do. There's a lot of different avenues they could take. We've, you know, we would like to speculate that Raquel is, is an enticing option for anybody. And I think he's probably at the top of that list, but, and you have to cover some salary there and, you know, purely Dubois makes five for the next two Raquel makes 3.7 for the next two. So, you know, whether you throw in a Terry or a Jones or whatever to cover the remaining one and a half or 1.3, to even out the salaries there and then you include you know a prospect or a pick that you start to kind of work the framework of, of what a deal could look like um but at the end of the day like you know is that enough and and would purely dubois want to come here i mean he, he doesn't have a no trade clause it's not his say in the end but you know after two years are up is is he going to stay and i think that's if you're bob murray that's something you have to even if bob murray knows he's not going to be here in two years that's still something you have to analyze is you know is this guy going to be here just like Columbus is looking at Line and saying, is he going to re-sign with us after next season? It's in typical Ducks fashion right now where the, the, the biggest and best hardcore insiders can't even get an effing name out of Anaheim as to who's involved in the talks. You get Line uh, we get we get Roslovic. We get uh, they're they're not going to include Nick Suzuki in Montreal. Anaheim increases their offer. What the hell? <laughs> I know. Can we get a name? Can we say it's not Drysdale, not Zegers? It's roster players. It, it, nothing. I'm or, so curious well, we what thing. this is. We got we only got one thing, and it was from uh, David Pagnota at the fourth period. He said, "Don't expect Adam Henrique part of the deal because Columbus is on his no trade list." So that's not even really a leak. It's Can just, you blame him? I think that's he on just knows no the details. List. Yeah, it, it's just knowing <laughs> the details, the inside details of Henrique's no trade list, which an insider like 
David Pagnota would know. And he and it's not so much knowing what the Ducks are offering right now. It's just knowing that Henrik has Columbus on that no trade list. So that's the only name we can cross off for Anaheim at this point. Other than that, like we would love to think that Drysdale and Zegers are untouchable. I, you know, we've got no indication that they are or that they aren't. Um, but that's the most would... on-brand shit ever. Is we don't tell you anything. Just just hope we're in on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fact that we found out they were this in on it is honestly to me remarkable. <laughs> I, you know, it, it's one of those things where it almost feels like you know you're going to be reading thirty-one thoughts next week, and it's going to be like thought twenty-six. Oh, I heard Anaheim was in, but they couldn't make a deal work. Wonder what they would have paid. <laughs> And that's fucking it. That's the whole point. Anaheim um, offered Delorier, Derek Durant, and uh, Ricard Raquel for Pierre-Luc Dubois. And the Columbus yeah. said no. <laughs> Do we not all think that's what's going to happen, though? Is like, we got so close. But like you said, in Elliot Friedman's 31 Thoughts article a week from now when he's breaking down the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade to fucking Montreal or Winnipeg, it, it's going to be, you know, Anaheim came up with an offer, but it just didn't meet what Columbus was looking for. Uh, you know, there'll be no details of what they offered or who they offered, or maybe it'll be a little tidbit of like Raquel was part of the the deal that fell apart. But you know, we always get close to these. Like, we, who remembers when we were close to Max Pacioretty mm-hmm. and, and almost getting him from Montreal? I completely like, we forgot were, about that until you said we were it right one now. of the finalists for Max mm-hmm. Pacioretty, and then he went to Vegas because the Ducks didn't want to meet the offer for Max Pacioretty. And wasn't it Steele? Was it, Steele it the might have been. It, it might have been, and. and Really? You know, it's it's just a, it's just it off brand. Get up. I think Steele was the point that Murray wouldn't do. This is he back when Steele had his 130 point season too, and his value was yeah, never higher. This was just after his draft year, I think. Yeah, but, I've been saying it, it for years. I, I'm not, and I've never claimed. I have claimed to be like a really good uh, general manager. I know, but um, I'm not saying I am. But we overvalue prospects so much <laughs> as fans. If someone's offering Max Pacioretty. For steel, an unknown quantity for a guy I know can score goals and was a leader and is highly regarded. I'm making that trade. I'm making that trade. Yeah, I don't think it was one for one. There were there were more parts to that for yeah. sure. But, oh, but steel was was the one again the one detail that got leaked. And you know, would I love Pierre Dubois? I would. Do I think the Ducks are you know top of Columbus's list? No. Uh, I think it all comes down to what Montreal ultimately was willing to offer, and if the Ducks can match that and and you know be significantly better than what Montreal is offering. But, like, you know, in all honesty, I, I feel like this could end with, you know, an, an article like that saying, yeah, the Ducks were, you know, super interested, but they couldn't get it done because we've seen this multiple times. You know, Evander Kane, Max Pacioretty, uh, and, you know, now if, it, if it's purely Dubois, you know, it sucks. But it's not like we haven't seen this before. No, but, I mean, when I, when I posted the question on uh... – on our Twitter today, we we, uh, we got a couple dozen responses, and just scrolling through them, the name that pops in constantly is Ricard Raquel, obviously. But then you see tidbits here of like Steele or Comtois, you know, a young guy who has a chance to develop into a middle six player who could score goals. Maybe that's a possibility. So I don't. I, I kind of want to just tie a neat little bow on this because I feel like we could talk circles on this for hours on what kind of trade we would give. But if you are Bob Murray. And you get a call from Yarmo Kekalainen tomorrow morning. And he's like, look, what are you going to offer me? Because that's what I would do. I would never go to him and say, I want this guy. I'm like, what are you going to give me? And then we can negotiate from there. Mm-hmm. What, would you, what would you offer him, Ed, if you were if you were Bob Murray tomorrow morning at, at 8 a.m. to get a phone call from Yarmo? 
Yeah, I, I think it starts with Ricard Raquel because the previous production, the change of scenery narrative, uh, the, the contract is just so valuable, especially to a team like Columbus as well. Uh, you know, two years under his contract, so you can kind of really see what you want. And I think the prospects of you know them re-signing him are, are better than a player like Patrick Laine. Um and, and doesn't Ricardo Raquel just seem like a player who would go to Columbus and, and do a job and, and kind of get back to to being you know what we thought he was maybe not a 30 goal scorer but a 20 25 goal scorer like playing with a player like Max Domi like you could you could see it right that's the thing and and you know from there I think it is one of the three kids uh, you know Terry Jones Comtois Steele who get thrown in there maybe it's a Josh Maher I, I think you include a player who is maybe not a you know top six roster player right now but as a young one who has a chance to break into a top six i think that kind of gets thrown in the deal and and then from there it's likely a a draft pick because you know yes columbus wants roster players who can impact now but i think when you look at their draft history recently they haven't had a ton of picks and they're looking to kind of fill the coverage back up and um you know whether that's a i doubt it's a 2021 first but it could be a 2022 that's protected top 10 protected that pushes into 2023 uh, that's kind of the the avenue i get i think I, I sent to you guys earlier you know the the most likely trade in my, in my mind that i could see going out is raquel terry in a 2022 first um whether that gets it done i don't know i mean purely dubois is already a first line center he's a, a 60 point guy right now and you know the value on those guys in an open market is huge i think the one thing to keep in mind is He's asked for a trade, and Columbus is under pressure right now to get him out because there's, you know, if if he was playing fine and the coach was playing him and there was no issues, then there really is no pressure for Columbus to move him because he's got two years left. But there's behind-the-scenes issues now that are forcing their hand, and I think teams know that. Steven? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think if if I get the phone call from me, you know, my thing is I'll give you Raquel, I'll give you Manson, I'll give you a top 10 protected first, and I'll give you any kid you want. You can't have Drysdale. You can't have Zegras. Anybody else. That's that's it. I'm, I'm starting right there. But I will give you Raquel. I will give you Manson. And I will give you a protected first round pick or unprotected second and third straight up. You know, I think that's where you got to start because I think. So for both of you guys right now, Drysdale and Zegras are off the table completely. Yeah, yeah, I think they have to be because – so this is actually something I kind of wanted to get to because I think it's really interesting is the really exciting thing, right, from a Ducks perspective about trading for Dubois is he's 22 years old. He doesn't turn 23 till this season is over, so he'll be 23 for all of next season. Um, I think he is – theoretically tied to Zagreus because I think what you have is you have the two forwards who you think are going to be your rocks for the next, you know, four five, ten 10 years, whatever you want to want to look at it. If you just drop Dubois in and there isn't a player of Zagreus's caliber to come up and bolster that forward lineup with him, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know how much farther that gets you than what you have. Do you now. really think Yarmo's going to be able to ask for that though? Because he's actually getting rid of a player that doesn't want to play for him. That's like, what I mean. So, so it's so hard to convince yeah, somebody. Absolutely. Give me your best assets, and you're like, you know, 
if that guy was kicking ass and we're talking 20 games down the line, he's got 10 goals and 10 assists, and he's murdering the league right now, and he loves playing hockey, then maybe I want that guy. But this guy's like phoning it in, hates Columbus. Uh, second of all, he's French-Canadian, <laughs> so I don't know if I want that <laughs> hey, those guy. Those are the only guys team. we have that score goals, so I shut know. up. I'm just kidding. And uh, <laughs> I'm not really kidding, but, you know. Um, and you want me to give you basically – you know, this candy I've been trying to find for almost a decade now just to give it to you on a guy that's a 50-point guy when Zagers could literally be a 70-80 point guy at his ceiling uh, yeah. or more. We don't know. Drysdale, we'll see what he becomes. He's definitely a top four defenseman no matter what. I think he has the potential to be a one-two. Um, that's going to be really interesting to see what Yarmo eventually is going to be able to get because, I mean, I, do you guys think that Nick Suzuki is – Better than Trevor Zegers? No, uh, but the hype right now, right? And I think Nick Suzuki is a great player. I think he's better than Trevor Zegers right now. I think long-term pre- projections and, and hype and and when you talk to you know different scouts and, and everything across the league is Zegers is going to be a better player projected to be. But that's the thing. They're all projections. So right now, does Nick Suzuki have more value than Trevor Zegers? Yes, he does. He looks fancy on Instagram highlights. Yeah, and he's getting it done. He got it done for Montreal last year. He got it done in the playoffs. He's getting it done now. He has a lot more value, I think, than Trevor Zegers does to a team like Columbus. But Montreal is not willing to part with that because, again, I think for the Ducks, and similar to Montreal, trading Trevor Zegers for Pierre-Luc Dubois, you take one step forward and two steps backward. Absolutely. Because you've got Pierre-Luc Dubois, who makes you better now. And you know you're a better team now, and he's a great player, and, and maybe he's a better player over his career than Trevor Zegers is. But who do you put him with? You've now traded the player you were going to put him with over mm-hmm. a long period of time. Now you have to go out and get that player again. So how many years of you know Dubois' career do you waste, and does that impact him signing with you two years down the road? And you know all those questions come into it there. And and, and you know in my mind the same thing is with Drysdale too. You finally got your right shot puck moving defenseman. Now you trade him for a number one center. The Ducks cannot go, move it. Gotta go out and get that again. You gotta go can't. out and get. But but they can. But they. Can, I don't think it's Drysdale. You know, can they move Fowler? Yes. Can they move Lindholm? Yes. No, they can't. Move yes. Lin- no, they really can't, dude. I know you you love him, but can they move? <laughs> can they make that move? Can they make that move sure. right now? Twenty. Well, how old is Lindholm? Twenty-seven. Twenty-six. Twenty-six. Twenty-six year old. You know, top four, two-way defenseman for a number one center. Can they and should they make that move? Probably immediately that this trade gets made, Sam Steele's gone. And that's that's part of that's part of the package. I, I think it's going to be Steele. I think it's going to be Raquel, and it's going to be either a prospect or a pick along with it for Dubois. I think you can justify uh, that though, it. because oh because yeah, trading Sam Steele for Pierre Luc Dubois isn't as a you know one step forward, two step backward situation because Pierre Luc Dubois comes in and fills that hole where Sam Steele is and leaving. Some. And yeah, and, and then some. And and you know right now we have Sam Steele and. The number of center prospects after him grew and, and whoever, right? You know, it's not like you're trading steel he and said it's all those center prospects, right? You've got you've got <laughs> Dubois who comes into that spot. So you're not losing any depth there, right? Um, so their center depth isn't getting worse, it's getting better. And then whoever and then you include Raquel in there and it's it, you know, the team maybe gets worse this year by removing two of those players, but how valuable is Ricardo Raquel to the future of this team right now? He's not. It's not a major impact when you think of what Zegers could do with a player like Pierre Luc Dubois and what Drysdale could do with the two of them in the roster. And 
and building around it's building around Pierre-Luc Dubois and not trading the assets you're going to build around him with to get him. Yeah. So, no. Oh, go ahead, Steven. Oh, no, I was going to say, uh, in the chat, Operation said exactly what I was thinking. You know, if uh, if you bring in Dubois, you got to bring up Zegris. You, you have to. You know, uh, nobody tell Jason that I said this. Uh, <laughs> but when it really kind of sounded like we were, like, for real in the mix, like, the thing that I actually was thinking about is, you know, uh, you kind of can see the ghost of what Chicago had, which is an offensive playmaking are you gonna say trade john gibson no okay but you're looking at you know maybe you put <laughs> zegris as a winger in that patrick kane driving a line on his own kind of thing mm. and then you've got pld to be that really strong two-way center and a clear number one center you know you you, you got something there i think that's uh incredibly interesting you know and I think he's obviously... a number one center that's going to come to anaheim and not have to play those minutes He's going yeah. to kill it if he comes here because he's not going to have to play those heavy minutes. He's just not going to this year. He'll have freedom. He'll have freedom more so here than I think anybody else, any other team on this list, in the sense that the Ducks can insulate him around Getzlaff and Henrik, where he's not coming in. He's like, okay, you know, he's going to come in and they're going to say, you have to improve our power play. Sure, there's going to be pressure there. But is he going to come in and have to be a two-way defensive center when the underlying numbers show he isn't that? It's, it's funny how we look at these big power forward guys and immediately say, Oh, he's a, you know, he's a really good big two way center. And then you go look at the underlying numbers and purely Dubois is in a great defensive center. And, you know, he's kind of tasked to do that in Columbus. And he comes to Anaheim where Getzlaff can be a defensive center and has been, and Adam Henrique can be a defensive center. And you can say to purely Dubois, okay, you're our guy who's going to go out there and generate offense. That's all we want you to do. And guess what purely Dubois is great at driving offense. By himself. Like, no, the NHL needs to break the mold. Coaching staffs, uh, for the most part, there, there are some outlanders that are outliers that don't do this. They need to break the mold of like, you have to play a 200 foot game. You know what? Sometimes I'm just really fucking good at scoring goals, dude. How about you don't make me back check 200 feet and then expect me to hustle back up and carry the play this way and score goals? Like, there's role players for those situations. If you build a team that, that can defend good, around them. Exactly. If you're that good at your job, and then you excel in one area better than the other. Just do it. Just do that job. The NHL, like I feel like, I almost feel like the Ducks are coming out of the Stone Age with not having an analytics department. You know, they're like, we get a younger coach who's more in tune with players, but we brought in, uh, we brought in, <laughs> we brought in Sutter to help out. From the, he's a retired Kings coach. <laughs> Jesus, do we really need Daryl Sutter here to to whisper in his damn ear like like Dallas isn't smart enough to run a team? Like this team just baffles me on on some ends, and then other ends I'm just like, wow, okay, so we're coming along a little bit. We're in on Pierre Luc Dubois now. Um, I, I kind of want to put the put a, a bow on the show, guys. We're over uh, an hour ten, and we could talk about this forever. So I gotta say one thing though. Wait before we before we move sure. on for this, the prospect of having a French connection line potentially of come to our Pierre Dubois and Jacob Perot. That's the end. We're done. We're hanging up. <laughs> I'm not doing this with you tonight. <laughs> I didn't even mention Benoit Olivier Group. You did. You did like, like freaking five minutes though. ago. I, know, but I left him off here in the French connection line. Comtois, Dubois, and Perot. I think it's really interesting. And honestly, I think it's very generous of you that you're willing to let uh, Dubois be the second-line center behind Gruel. 
<laughs> How about this? From now on, we do put two Pucks and Brews shows for Patreon. Throughout the month, any time that Eddie says gruel on a show, we tally it. And then that's how many shots he has to do on the upcoming Pucks and Brews show for our Patreon members. We actually get to see Eddie get loaded. Anytime he mentions gruel, Eddie, you're going to be hammered, dude. Dude, he's going to get fucking alcohol poisoning. I can't help it, man. I love the guy. That would be so good. So the last thing I want to say about this this potential trade, um, I, w- I want two things out of you guys, and don't don't run on for like thirty seconds. But just real quick, name the two players you think are involved in the trade. If you're if like, like realistically, we think Bob Murray's doing, and the percentage of the chance you think it's going to happen. You go ahead. Um, I recall hundred percent, and I'm still I'll, I'll stick with what I said earlier. Troy Terry. I think it could easily be Sam Steele. I think it's one of those two. And, no, what's the likelihood the trade's going to happen in general? Is what I meant. Sorry, percentage wise. Yeah, percentage wise, I'd I'd say, I'd say fifty percent. I think they're above Winnipeg. I think they're behind Montreal. But it, it, I think it all comes down to what Montreal can offer. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's Raquel and Steele. Me too. And I I think you're looking at thirty five, forty percent. I don't know that it's much higher than that. I think there are a lot of things in their favor. Uh, but I'm gonna go about thirty five, forty percent. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that because um, I already said I agree with Steven on the players. For sure. We all agree on Raquel. Um, I would love it if Terry left and we got to keep Steele, but uh, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, and I think the percentage of this happening, I think it's going to come down to he's going to ask, do Americans drink milk out of a carton or out of a bag? God. And then the you know BPH is going to come to the question. He's 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 strict on his diet. He doesn't want to have any chemicals in his system, so he's he's going to come down here and uh, he wants to you know crack open a milk jug down here where we don't have bags of milk. So I think that's going to be it'll be in his contract. He's just going to have that. It's going to be the thing. Wouldn't wouldn't it be just a nice shift in direction to actually win one? <laughs> oh my God! If we get to Pierre just Dubois, win one, if if you we get Pierre Luc Dubois, I'm going to go buy a bottle of Pink Whitney and drink with you. Hey, Dada, you know what? <laughs> If we get Dubois, we will do an entire Pink Whitney show. Oh man, if we get Dubois before Pucks and Brews tomorrow, man, if oh, okay, fuck. if we get Dubois, if, if if you're listening to the show before before 1 p.m. or 2 p.m. Pacific time on uh, Saturday is, tomorrow Saturday on Saturday, you're already in Saturday. You're in the future. Right? Go to Patreon.com/slash/ForeverMighty <laughs> and subscribe, even if it's for you know one month. And listen to that show <laughs> because that show <laughs> that show is going to be wild if we get purely Dubois. That's going to be awesome. Uh, I think I want to just get to the one question we got because I hate not getting to people who ask who answer our question call. Uh, let me get to it here. I'm always so bad at finding these last seconds, so everyone get mad at me as I'm dragging the show out. Um, let's see. Yeah, this is a doozy. Here it is. It comes from Chase. He says, do you guys think the Ducks are still in on Dubois? <laughs> Does it include Zegers or Drysdale? We've already answered that question. Chase, thank you for sending in that in. It was the main portion of our show, obviously, after uh, the show breakdown. But uh, appreciate the question. And uh, if you guys don't have anything else, I think we're it for the night. We're done. It's 2.20 a.m. <laughs> for Eddie though, over there and uh, somewhere in Toronto. And uh, for Stephen and I, it's uh, it's time to party. It's like eleven twenty. Thank you guys all for coming out. Those who listen the next day, we love you guys too, and uh, we look forward to talking to you guys again on Sunday night. Have a great night, everybody. <laughs>